0: Father God, we thank you and praise you and honor you and love you for all that you've done for us in your son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And as we go to your word today, Father, I pray that you'd open it up to us, that uh, it might encourage us and point us a way forward for the Church of Jesus Christ in the West today to see your spirit come again in power and to see the church restored to its place of influence in society. Uh, we love you and praise you, Lord. I pray that your spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people today. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Starting with verse seven, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed and the evil deeds of Samaria. For they deal falsely. The thief breaks in and the bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. By their evil they make the king glad, and the princes by their treachery. They are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire, from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers. For with hearts like an oven, they approach their intrigue. All night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength, and he knows it not. Gray hairs are sprinkled upon him. And he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is like a dove silly and without sense, calling on Egypt, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go I will spread over them my net, I will bring them down like the birds of heaven, uh, birds of the heavens, I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them for they have strayed from me destruction to them for they have rebelled against me I would redeem them but they speak lies against me they do not cry to me from their heart but they wail upon their beds for grain and wine they gnash they gash themselves they rebel against me although i trained and strengthened their arms yet they devise evil against me they return but not upward they are like a treacherous bow Their princes shall fall by the sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their their derision in the land of Egypt. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, my God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf of Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel. A craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flour. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, over the years that I've been here at City Temple, I have received quite a number of prophetic words uh, that have been given to me or given to the church. Uh, Sometimes they've been given in person. Uh, sometimes uh, they're sent to me in writing. Uh, And one thing that I've always learned when I receive a prophetic word, if it's written, I always go to the end of the word. And I always read the last two or three sentences of the word first, always. And if it's coming to me in person, I always stop the person. If I don't know who the person is, I will always stop them and ask them their name and what church they're from. And I have found that if I apply these two rules uh, very straightforwardly, uh, that I will save myself an awful lot of heartache and grief. Because if somebody is not willing to tell me their name in the church that they're from, that tells me that they're not willing to be accountable and the word that they're going to give will be entirely negative. And <clears throat> if I go to the end of the written prophetic word, and it's not clearly signed and indicated as who it's from, and those last couple of sentences do not set forth a sense of hope and promise, then I know it's not God. And I've seen this time after time after time after time uh, when people give me prophetic words. Always find out their name and their church if you don't know who they are, and uh, and always. Uh, go to the end of the letter, the end of the word if it's written down. Because even in the darkest moments, even in the harshest prophetic words, God always gives a sense of hope. Always. You, uh, so many of the people that have come to me over the years have styled themselves as a prophet in the manner of one of the Old Testament prophets. You know, perhaps Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet because he seemed to be crying all the time, or often as somebody like Hosea. And the thing is that when you read passages like we read today, they can seem very, very dark and they can seem very, very harsh. But even in the passages like we read today, there are signs of hope. Notice what God says there in verse 13 of chapter 7. He says, I would redeem them. It is God's desire as he speaks to Israel in this time it is god's desire to redeem them it is god's desire to forgive them it is god's desire to restore relationship with him in fact that's the whole point of the entire book of hosea is god is calling his people to come back to him god is calling his people to have relationship with him and god is calling his people god is calling his people to faithfulness in that relationship with him But the people of Hosea's time refused to hear it. They refused the the positive things. Uh, Maybe they focused on the negative. Maybe they just disregarded the entirety of what Hosea was saying. Maybe on the outside, things seemed to be quite okay at that time. And so they didn't listen to Hosea, but Hosea's word. Was there and is very powerful, and it came to pass and it told of God's promise. Now, the word of Hosea really tells us how easy it is for us to really miss what is going on. The people that Hosea was speaking to clearly were missing. They weren't understanding, they weren't hearing, they were going on, they were doing their own thing, they were living in their faithlessness, and yet many of them didn't realize how desperate and how bad the situation really was. But God was revealing to them the the dire straits they were in, as well as how to get out of that into a renewed relationship with him and a restoration of all the covenant promises. And in many ways, when you look at the church in the West, uh, we are in dire straits as well. I mean, there are many big churches, there are many growing churches, Uh, there are some huge churches in the West, not as big as some of the churches in Africa and Asia or South America, but there's some large churches in the West and in the United States and in other places, but size, whether it's big or small or medium, somewhere in the middle, does not indicate God's favor. There are some people that think, well, we've got 10,000 people in our church, so we must really be going with God. And there are some other people who think, well, we've got 10 people in our church, but we're the faithful remnant. And whether you're big or small does not indicate whether you're actually faithful. Size is no indicator. Uh, the fact that nothing bad seems to be happening to you at the moment is no indicator. We have to dig deeper to hear from God and actually open ourselves for God to speak to us. And in the passage today and we've been talking here the last few weeks as we've looked at Hosea about how God is speaking to the church in the West and how God is calling us to a time of faithfulness. And now that we're in the season that's called Lent, which is a time of preparation leading up to Easter, it's really appropriate for us to reflect on these things and be challenged by these things and say, God, how can I be faithful to you? And God, how can I help my church and the people around me be spurred on to faithfulness to you? Now, when God is talking to uh, the people today in chapter 7 and 8, he really brings out two issues. He's focused a lot on faithfulness, but in these two passages, two more issues tend to come up that are related to faithfulness. One is iniquity, and the other is rebellion. Iniquity and rebellion. In verse seven, he, God, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, he says, when I would heal Israel... The iniquity of Ephraim is revealed. For God to heal, he must reveal our iniquity. For God to heal, he must reveal our iniquity. God's desire is to heal. God's desire is to restore his people. But whenever God heals his people, whenever God restores his people, whenever God pours out revival on his people, whenever that happens, God always reveals their iniquity always reveals their iniquity. Now, when we take this word iniquity, we need to understand that it is one of the words for sin in the Bible, but it's a special word for sin. There's a number of different words for sins. There's trespasses, where actually you go into an area that's not your responsibility, and you you take over, try to take over that area. Uh, There's transgression, where you step over the lines that God has set. There's the general word for sin that just means sin in all of its varied forms. And then there's this word iniquity. And this word iniquity is uh, is referring to the twistedness and brokenness of life because of the presence of sin in the world and our sinful actions that come out of that twistedness and brokenness. It's the twistedness and brokenness of life because of sin in the world and our sinful actions that stem from it. Uh, for example, uh, most of us have had issues with our parents. Uh, it's a very rare person who says, oh, my parents were wonderful, they were both beautiful, uh, they raised me, they stayed together my whole life. You know, most of us have had issues of some sort with our parents. And for some people, those issues are so deep and so tremendous that they start to influence their behavior even as they grow up, even when their parents are dead. You know, very often you have men who seek the approval of their father, uh, but they never quite get that approval. And so everything that they do is stemming from that desire to approve, uh, to get the approval of their father, even sometimes after their father has died, for example. And that is brokenness. That is a twisting of life from the way God designed it. It's a distortion of how God has intended us to be. And then we start to act out of that distortion, out of that twistedness, and those actions are sinful. That's, the, that's what God is talking here, when He talking about here when He talks about iniquity. It's the twistedness and brokenness of life that's due to the fact that we have sin in the world and our sinful actions then that come out of our own twisting and brokenness. And so God has to reveal iniquity. Now, iniquity is not often, it's not intentional sin. And that's one of the reasons why God has to reveal it. Because sometimes the things that we are doing are sinful, but we don't even realize it because we've always done it that way. It's almost natural in the way it flows out of us. And so God has to reveal that to us and tell us, hey, that's sin, that's sin. Now, how can we recognize iniquity? Well, there's a number of signs of iniquity, that are here in the text, and I'll just mention a few of these. Uh, First of all, there's all this talk here about the oven and people being like an oven. What are they talking about here? He's talking about people being controlled by the heat of their passion. Doing things that, that just because it, it feels right, and they think they should do it speaking out of that passion or, or acting out of that passion. You might include here people who compulsively buy things uh, or you might include here uh, people who have, you know, just fly off in anger uh, at a moment's notice. Uh, you might include here people that I uh, just, you know, jump in bed with whomever it seems right to jump in bed with because, uh, because it just feels right. You know, any number of things, you know, this idea of the heat of our passion is not just about sexual passion. It's anything that's driving us uh, that is, you know, just kind of a fire inside of us that seems to propel us. We need to be wary of that because we can be controlled by that. It's not saying that that's wrong to be fired up about something, but we can get so fired up about things that we're acting out of that, not out of the Word of God, not out of our spirit, not out of self-control. And in their hot passion, another sign of iniquity is that people devour their rulers. Verse uh, verse 7 here. People devour their rulers. And we see this a lot. Uh, both in the church and in the government, how often people are re- ready in a, in a moment's notice to criticize the rulers and, and, and gossip behind their back and tear them down. Uh, this is what Paul was talking about in, uh, uh, in Galatians chapter 5 when he says, you know, watch out if you b- bite and devour uh, one another, you will destroy one another. And so it's this idea of just criticizing and tearing down and, and undermining those who are in leadership. Another indicator is that you, you just don't have the, your, your strength. You don't have strength and vitality. Strangers are sucking you dry, and you don't even realize it. You start to lose your energy. You lose your enthusiasm. You lose your focus. That can be a sign of iniquity. Uh, oftentimes, uh, a faux repentance can be a sign of iniquity. You know, look what God says here. He says, that they return, but they don't return upward. In other words, they return, but they're not returning to God. People are saying, oh, okay, I don't want to do that. And and they change their mind, but they're not really starting to do it God's way. So it's like they're constantly changing their mind. They're constantly turning away from one thing and turning to another thing, but they fail to return to God. And all of these and many other things in this passage are signs, are indicators that iniquity is present and God needs to reveal that to us. And the key thing is to say, okay, God, show me my iniquity. Show me those parts of my life that are twisted and broken. And then there's a second issue that he picks up in this passage, and that's the issue of rebellion. You see this in verse 13 of chapter 7 or or verse 1 of chapter 8. And rebellion is an active or a passive resistance to God. It's where sometimes we know what we should do, but we don't really want to do it. Uh, we, we kind of put God in a box or set God in a corner, and we try to live li- our lives our own ways. You know, and there's a number of signs of rebellion. You got people vying for leadership and people choosing leaders, but they're not asking God about the right person to choose. I've seen this in so many churches where the church chooses their elders almost as, as through politics rather than saying, okay, who is the the person that God has appointed to this role in the life of our church? People will start to create then idols, things that they try to find their significant security or acceptance from, or their identity from. But these idols ultimately will be for their own destruction. And another sign of rebellion is that people are are literally sowing the wind. Now, this is an interesting metaphor, the idea of sowing the wind. The wind is not something that you can control. The wind is not something in and of itself that produces any kind of fruitfulness. So if you sow the wind, it's like sowing something that's empty, sowing something that's fruitless, sowing something that can never bear anything. But they sow the wind, which is harmless, fruitless, empty, and they reap the whirlwind, that which can bring destruction and devastation. And when people are are just going after one thing after another after another and it bears no fruit, bears no results, bears no uh, no glory to God, then ultimately you can say, okay, are they walking in rebellion? And these two things, rebellion prevents God from healing. People living in rebellion will never be healed by God. God will say, no, I won't do it. And iniquity must be exposed for God to heal. But the point of the text is that God desires to heal. And the good news for us as the body of Christ is that God has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. As we turn to Jesus, as we, in the words of Hebrews, fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him, casting off the sinfulness, casting off the iniquity, laying down our rebellion and choosing to cooperate fully with God in submission, honoring God in repentance, we can then experience God's healing. And that's the message to the church. And I think the message to this church in this season is that God wants to heal and God is going to heal. And the day is coming when God will pour out his spirit in a great healing in the body of Christ and they will turn back to God in faithfulness through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would reveal to us any iniquity or rebellion in our lives. Father, we don't want to walk in iniquity and rebellion. We want to lay these down. We want to repent, and we want to turn to you. So Lord, help us to do that in the power of your Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and shed his blood for our sins so that we might have life eternal. We thank you and we praise you. We honor you, worship you, and adore you. And we pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.